Alright, and welcome everybody to a very special episode of the Talking Space Podcast. My name is Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining us as usual is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. I have been waiting, Sawyer, for this program for a very long time. I can't wait to dive into it tonight. Oh, me too. And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. It's good to be here as always, and I'm looking forward to our chat with our guests. Yes, as you've alluded to, we are not the only three people who are on the show tonight. Uh, For those who are unaware, I was very fortunate enough to take part in something called Mission Astro Access, which we'll get into what that is in just a moment, but I am very proud and honored to be one of 12 Astro Access ambassadors, and two other ambassadors are proudly joining us here tonight, Uh, and we'll have them introduce themselves in a little bit about what they do. So let's start with uh, Dr. Sherry Wells Jensen. Hi, everybody. My name is Sherry Wells Jensen, and I am an associate professor at Bowling Green State University in beautiful Bowling Green, Ohio, which is south of Toledo, located in the middle of the Great Black Swamp. And I teach linguistics, and my research interests are in astrobiology and disability studies. Fantastic. And also joining us, another amazing ambassador, Dana Bowles. Hi, uh, my name is Dana Bowles. I've been working for the federal government for about 26 plus years now in the space, uh, in space. And um, currently I'm working at the day-to-day operations of a science website. Awesome. So uh, as we mentioned, we were some of the participants in something called Mission Astro Access. I'll give a brief summary and then I'm going to hand the rest of the show over to Mark and Jean. Uh, so Mission Astro Access is the first uh, zero-gravity flight entirely dedicated to proving that people with different disabilities can work and perform tasks in a microgravity environment with the eventual goal of showing that space is for everybody. So that's obviously the most basics of it all. And Gene and Mark, I'm going to let you go more in-depth from here on out, and I'm going to take the role of a participant for once. That's that's kind of dangerous, Sawyer. But we're gonna go ahead and try to try to get get through this, and 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 really, I hope uh, ask some pretty ask some pretty intriguing questions. So, again, the whole purpose, if if I'm not mistaken, of the the astro access experiment was to go ahead and take individuals that have, you know, some some physical challenges, and and try to see how they they adapt to to microgravity conditions or to certain planetary conditions and i i think we're going to go around the table here um now sawyer everybody's kind of familiar with your 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 situation but for for those who are not um could you kind of talk about you know what what you were bringing to the table and we'll just go around around the room so to speak and and go with each one and, and, and kind of say what, what, what they're bringing to the table as far as an investigative route here. Uh, so, yes, I am a wheelchair user. I am paralyzed from the waist down, uh, a complete spinal cord injury as a result of a sucker punch by a bully in middle school, uh, for those who are unaware. Yeah, I know, Gene. It's a it's a unique case, but uh, I, as you guys know, have been on this show for the last 12 years. I am a space journalist as well as a TV news producer on top of all of that. And uh, I was definitely interested in 
the study of basically the three basics, uh, staying in place, moving around, and uh, not doing the splits so that uh, I my parents can have grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sherry, what, what about you? My parents already have grandchildren, so um, I'm good with that part. Okay. Um, I'm fully blind, and I came to this process with two principal goals at the outset. One was not to panic and embarrass myself, and the other was not to throw up. And having <laughs> really accomplished those two things, I felt like I was pretty good. And But as, as a member of the blind crew, I was all about trying to figure out what the heck you do if you're fully blind, you've got no light perception coming in, and all of a sudden you're floating. How do you figure out where down is once there is no uh, reference for down anymore? It's just gone. No more down. Down is gone. Up is down. <laughs> Everything is everywhere. How do you find your way back? Mm-hmm. And then um, if, if we could master that, you know, how do we get back to where we started if we could figure out where that is? And then what the heck happens if you, quote, drop something? This is a yeah. thing we didn't quite get to, but like if you take your, your, your apple, your famous Newton's apple, and you let it go off your hand, it's not going to fall to the ground in a useful way, which is super useful on Earth, right? Because then I can go find it, I've gone thing. I, knew, I can hear where it hit. But if it's just floating somewhere in front of me, how am I going to find it? And if <laughs> I push my hand through the air to try and locate the darn thing, am I going to knock it out of the way? Is the wind from my hand going to bounce it away, blow it away? How the heck am I going to do that? Yeah, it just sounds like a a, a a a fabulous set of set of just weird things that we're just not really used to here in 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 regular gravity conditions. But these are things that you would you, you would encounter in in you know in microgravity. Dana, what about you? So I uh, I am also in a wheelchair. I am missing both arms, uh, about one to two inches below my elbows, and both legs quite a bit above uh, where my knees would be. So my even though so even though I was in a wheelchair like like Sawyer is, um, we have a lot of similar goals, which was to figure out how we were gonna get from place to place and and stay in place, but also. Uh, because I wear artificial arms, one thing I was curious about is, can I um, take my arms off and but keep them with me, make sure they don't float all over the place? So in trying to accomplish that, uh, we designed the flight suit in a very uh, unique way to, to help with that. My interest in this whole kind of project started way back, oh, good Lord, in 1985. When I first picked up a book um, by Martin Caden, I believe the name of it was Killer Station. the The plot line was just was just awful, but I'm not, I'm not going to go into it. Um, but um, one of the characters on board the space station um, was a uh, somebody that that used a prosthesis. They they were they were um, an individual that was challenged in a similar way 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 that you are. And the whole purpose of that individual on the station was, shoot, he, he, he could go ahead and use different prosthetic devices and manipulate his world around him in such a manner that, you know, he could do certain tasks way better than somebody, you know, who was able-bodied, whatever the devil that, that's supposed to mean. And and I'm wondering, in, in your case, did they 
kind of do that? Did they kind of set up something where, you know, what 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 did they throw at you? So as as I mentioned, you know, what they told us we needed to do was try and figure out how to get from point to point and to uh, and station keeping. So they didn't give me a specific task to do with my hooks. My my thing is, um, many things are easier for me to do without my arms. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, but I do, there are certain things that are definitely easier to do with them. And because of that, it was really important for me to be able to wear my arms on the flight and be able to take them off and put them back on when I need them. And to mm-hmm. me, that was really important was to have that ability. and. In fact, the way my, my flag suit was designed is that I, I actually have four sleeves. So I have the two sleeves that are on the flight suit. And I had my friend, luckily, I was very lucky, a, a good friend of mine is a, is a master seamstress. And she offered to help me alter my, my flight suit. And what she did is she altered the sleeves so that they could act kind of like a sock for me. Wow. Okay. And that was and that was important because if if I'm not wearing my arms, I need to be able to use if I'm not wearing my um, prosthesis, I need to be able to use my my arms, right, to do things possibly very, you know, to have that that direct contact so the socks would get in the way. If I had if I was wearing prosthetic socks, then I would have to deal with taking them off and then putting them somewhere where they don't float around. So the way my sleeves were designed was that she sewed a, a little pocket on the inside so that I could put my arm inside that pocket when I was using them as socks. And it was perfect. And then when I took my arms off, um, I pulled my arm out of that pocket and I could pull it through the sleeve. So then they were accessible to me to be able to do anything more um, detailed oriented where I would need that touch. Mm-hmm. So that was really awesome. And my artificial arms, meanwhile, my artificial arms have the other two sleeves on them because mm-hmm. when I wear them, I want it to look like I'm, you know, just like anybody else's flight suit, right? Right. And um, what we did there is we added a Velcro patch so that when I put, I would put my hooks together and then I took my arms off and I hung them around my body, kind of like a sash. Mm-hmm. And then that Velcro patch attached to another Velcro patch on my back hip. So that enabled me to be able to like climb up the ropes on the side of the wall of the plane and have them with me where I need them. And that me, that was a huge success and takeaway is that, yes, I have a way to attach them to my body where they're not in my way, but I have them when I need them. Hey, Dana, can I just check my understanding of your whole sleep thing? Because I think I just finally understood it. So, so like starting from the shoulder, your sleeve's going down, and then it kind of branches. Is that the deal? And you've got a sock. So no, they, it's just the regular sleeve, like your like your sleeve, except okay. my friend put because my arms are short, right? My arms are a lot shorter. I'm missing my arms, uh, most of my arm, my forearm. So my friend she pulled the cuff in the sleeve inside to make a little pocket so that I could put my arm inside that pocket and then i put my arm in my artificial arm so it okay acts- so it's like a like two sleeves like on top of each other kind of well there's one on the end there's one on my arm my and then there's one on my prosthetics so i have four sleeves okay i think i get it 
yeah. I think I think I'm getting getting the picture too. One of the uh, this is probably what, what I what I should have started out with, and I apologize. Um, the NASA Twitter uh, feed on right on top of there says there's space for everybody, and that's one of the things that we've been also trying to say on this program, where where there is space for everybody, um, and I think that was really what the whole point of this exercise really was to prove the fact that, you know, spaceflight really is for everybody. Um, how did, how did you folks get involved in, in all of this? And I, and, and I guess um, if, if I can, um, Sawyer, we'll start out with you and then we'll go, you know, around the, around the horn. How, how, you know, were you, you initially approached by these folks or, or how did they go about reaching out? Well, mine is a more unique kind of story in that I just was doom scrolling on Facebook. And (laughs) I'm rarely on Facebook, which is the weirdest thing. And all of a sudden, I'm friends with uh, Tim Bailey, who is one of the flight directors with Zero G and has done amazing work with Yuri's Night. And all of a sudden, I see this thing that says they're looking for people with uh, disabilities to go on a Zero G flight and basically prove that space is for everybody and help complete demonstrations and i I was like you know this is so perfect this is something i've wanted to do for at least a decade i never thought i'd really go into space so my dream up until now obviously was at least the zero g flight and the biggest uh barriers at the time were cost and obviously safety concerns especially with accessibility with no use of my legs how do I make sure they don't smack into places and when I land on the ground how am I going to land safely uh so I mean this was a perfect opportunity so I put in for it and then I'm sure like everyone else dreaded the wait as we kind of were saying did we get it did we not get it and then they surprised me as a quote-unquote semifinalist, which it turns out was a ruse for a documentary that uh, they were making on this. And so I was at the Inspiration4 launch, which quite appropriate in that it was the first launch with all private citizens, and also included Haley Arsenault, who was a cancer survivor and also the first person in space with an internal prosthesis. And that was when they basically told me with the VAB right in the background, uh, how does it feel to be a member of the uh, flight crew? And I think for the first time in a long time, I was speechless. Gene and Mark, you can attest that doesn't happen often. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> and so sure. that was that was how I found out. Uh, I'm sure it's slightly different uh, for Sherry and Dana, but I'm interested to hear how you guys found out too. Yeah, please, um, uh, Sherry. Why don't you go ahead and share that that your story? Yeah. Okay. So disability in space is one of my research areas because. We may or may not be all about um, spaces for everybody, and we may not be interested in letting disabled people go to space, but disabled people will be in space because space creates disability. But what I like to tell people is, look, space is always trying to kill you. It's not a nice place. It is dangerous as heck. Um, There's always radiation coming in at you. There's microgravity trying to wreck your bones and destroy your muscles. It's, um, it's messing with your eyesight, it's messing with your cognition, it's bad for your ears, it's bad for all of your whole body. And we can try like heck to keep people healthy, which is a really good idea. But we will have disabled people in space, especially if we go far, like to Mars, right? It's gonna happen. Right. So you've got two choices. You can be ready for that with accessible everything and your mission can go well and everybody can be happy. Or you can 
And it just really has the fire for this thing because that's what we need, right? And they all certainly, yes. Sawyer and Dana have the fire for this thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll attest Sawyer does. That, that's for darn sure. Um, <laughs> Thank did you, Gene. Did, did, did you folks have, now, you get there, did you have to go through any training at all initially? And, and did you have, like, like anybody like kind of nurse mating you through the process or dur- you know, during that training period or, or, or anything like that? I do just want to point out though, really quickly, Gene, from the moment that I found out that I was selected to the time mm-hmm. that we flew was 31 days. Wow. So it was a little bit of a tighter, you know, turn than most people think. So a lot of it also because of COVID a and B, the fact that all of us are from all different parts of this beautiful country right? is that, you know, we were doing a lot of it virtually to begin with, and we didn't all meet in person until two days before flight, I think. Wow. So a lot of it was anticipation, and then once we got there was the last minute, you know, the final in-person training and preparation, I think, is the best way to preface that. You know, but the, I mean, but the fact that, that we, we each had... Well, you know, at least one person helping us, you know, to kind of make sure that things are safe during the flight, that reduces the risk a lot, right? And so we can just come to the situation with just minimal preparation of this is what to expect and this is what you should be doing when you're on the flight. Yeah, I, I guess that that's where, where what I was getting at was that what, did each one of you did you, each one of you get assigned an individual once you guys got together to kind of nursemaid you through this process? Okay, I'm going to go in with scissors and cut out the word nursemaid here, right? <laughs> Please, by all means. So FAA regulations currently state that if you're going, if you have a disability and you're going to be on a zero-G flight, um, there's somebody sort of there to help you in case of an emergency. So that's not a thing that uh, Mission Astro Access imposed. That's a current FAA regulation, which is one of the things that we're looking at now, right? So did, did we need that? Yeah. Did, did everybody need that? Did everybody, would everyone have needed that? Um, and and so, I mean, all of these things are new. So that's a question that we're asking. Right. Okay. You've, you've gone through through the training and, 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 and now it's flight day. What, what was, what, what was the, the experience like that? Just, just getting on there because did, did anybody say, all right, this is probably what's going to happen. And, you know, I mean, everybody has, you know, I, I've, we've talked to astronauts before, you know, dealing with microgravity conditions for the first few days. And of course, there's um, the the old joke, don't eat too much, much for breakfast. I mean, even Bob Cabana basically said that his first CDR, he was looking at the pilot and who had never flown in space before. And, and the command pilot goes over to him and says, oh, you know, because he sees his pilot chowing down on this big breakfast. And the and the commander goes, well, gee, I see you're going for color and distance, huh? Or you know, <laughs> and um, you know, so I'm wondering if there was there was there was anything of like that, any kind of warnings, like you know, don't eat a lot, a lot before the flight, you know, do X, Y, and Z to kind of just minimize your your adaptation to microgravity. Two things for that, really quick, if I may. Uh, first, in terms of just general getting the lay of the land for the flight. The day before the flight, we got to go on board the plane for at least an hour or so to figure out logistics. So where are we going to be uh, for at least myself? How do I get from my airplane seat down to the floating area? 
Uh, I'm sure uh, Dana and Sherry were doing their own things that day before. So I just want to point out that that was, for me, probably one of the most helpful things was, uh, you know, we obviously did all of the training the days before and, you know, getting to do the basics. But the biggest was getting to go in the day before and say, all right, this is logistically how we're going to get to the floating area, where I'm going to be, what the actual devices that I'm using will look and feel like, things like that. Tell us, tell us how the plane was configured, uh, nose to tail, as far as interior. Of course, the FAA guy asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I like the word configured, not what was it like? <laughs> Spoken like a true government employee. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We love you, Mark. But Oh. Sorry, Dana. <laughs> but basically, uh, so it was a uh, modified Boeing 727 cargo plane. So um, the front two-thirds of the plane uh, had padded walls, ceilings, and floors, which in zero gravity just is padded everywhere because the whole up and down thing means nothing um, until gravity hits. Uh, There is a small section at the front that could be cordoned off for privacy needs, and then the back, it was a few rows of seats in a 3x3 configuration uh, with a narrow aisle down the middle. They're basic airplane seats that you'd see on any airliner. Uh, the 727 has the uh, engine in the back, not under the wings. And I think there were only two windows in the entire floating area of the plane. And from my understanding, that's a good thing after looking at the flight aware data of how deep we were, or how steep we were actually diving. Yeah, because nobody really wants to look out those windows, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably better that we didn't. <laughs> when you see a 10, 15,000 foot drop in a matter of about 30 seconds, yeah. So. Uh, all right, so you're, oh, yeah, you're so flight day. Yeah, so so you're in the aircraft. What's what's the game plan? I understand because I was I was reading the website before we came on, and I understand that they were they, they were trying to simulate basically three conditions: one, basic microgravity, the way you would experience basically on the ISS; um, a a lunar gravity situation, one six gravity of Earth. And then a Mars gravity situation, and um, I, I'm wondering, it, were were the ta- were the tasks that you had to perform tailored to those situations, or or was it okay, do this here, and then then kind of do the same task in each each uh, gravity condition? Yeah, the, the, I would say the first um, the first three parabolas, which were the the uh, Martian and lunar gravity levels. They, those were just kind of the, I, I think those are more just for us getting used to it, like feeling it for the first time. And that's where you got to do the cool things where you, you still have a little control, but you're not, you know, you're not like flying all over the place. So it was, I, I personally, those were my favorite were the first three. Yeah, I'm telling you, sell everything you have and go move to the moon because that is so much fun. Oh my yeah. god, so much fun. That was the yeah. best thing. You were every ninja warrior in the world or every Disney flutter fairy princess, whatever you want to be. Yeah. Just jump up in the air and you think, oh, I believe I'm approaching the ground again. I'll be there at some point. It's so see, much experience, fun. My experience was slightly different, but in a good way. Um, so basically I did the Martian gravity, the first one, and kind of just hopped around on one hand. Like, okay, it was more of a let my stomach adjust than my body adjust. 
And then we get to the first lunar parabola. And so I figure, you know what? I'll probably end up doing the exact same thing. So, all right, you know, I'll hop up on one hand or whatever, and that'll be it. I was wrong. I, all of a sudden, um, I'm pushing up, and the next thing I know, uh, my legs kind of acted like a pendulum. And all of a sudden, I'm standing. And I, I stopped for a second and looked around, and it took me a minute to go, okay, I'm vertical. What is happening here? And I quickly put my hands on the shoulders of the two people who were helping me, which is George Whitesides and Will Pomerantz. And I literally just remember shouting, oh my god, I'm standing. And that was the first time that I had stood in 15 years. So it was magical. I just remember giggling and just the ear-to-ear -ear grin. And then gravity came way too fast. And I remember we had two lunar parabolas so we landed after the first one and while we were in the high g portion they're like all right so what do you want to do for the second one and i just remember saying i want to do that again <laughs> so, so sure enough next time push right up and there i was standing in lunar gravity so that it was fun but for me that was like probably the most magical moment was realizing oh my gosh i can stand and not even in zero g with still a little bit of gravity Yes, uh, Sawyer. I I was you know I remember um, reading your um, um, your tweets coming off of that, and somebody I guess had a picture of that moment, and you posted that picture up there, and I I remember what you had written that this was the first time that you had stood up in fifteen years, and I, you know, privately here I'm I'm sitting in 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 the in my chair doing the infamous, you know, Blue Man Group one-arm fist pump thing going, yes! Because, I mean, that that really, you know, I, I, that must have been, been an emotional moment for you. I don't know if really emotional. I don't think it hit me until afterwards. It, it was more of that it took me by surprise. I, I expected I would push and then maybe hop up and down. I didn't realize my legs would be that sort of, like, pinpoint pendulum that I could then go upright and on them. Most of it was shock in the beginning of, okay, this really happened, and then, oh my gosh, I'm going to fall. So I quickly grabbed onto the shoulders, and it turns out I wasn't really falling. I was kind of just chilling there. And, you know, it helps at one six gravity that uh, Will and George don't have to hold up as much weight, and I'm working on losing weight, but... <laughs> <laughs> So you, that helped. But, you and me both, but anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so it was more of the unusualness of the moment. And then finally afterwards did it hit me of, oh my gosh, I actually was standing. I mean, I shouted it, but it didn't click. Yeah, I was I was just wondering how, how that moment was because I, I was, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I, I read that and I was grinning from ear to ear. Um, could you folks go into any of the, 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 the tasks themselves and what, what, what they had, had you doing? It was, were they, were they specific to the, to the, the challenge that, 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 that you folks are, are, are dealing with here or, or were they, you know, you can say disability. it's cool. Okay. Well, no, I, okay. I mean, I'm, I, I was trying not to say that. No, you, I mean, that's part of why we're here, right? Is because disabled, it's just a way to be in the world and it's okay. Right. Right. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure I, 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 I could I, I could say that. And, you may. 
Okay, thank you. Go forth, go forth and sin no more with euphemisms, oh, my friend. Thank, thank you, Sherry, for your absolute. Um, <laughs> I told you she's the most eloquent person. I'm having fun. I'm having so much fun tonight. Um, the so 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 Sherry, I guess I guess since I have your attention, we'll start off with you. Um, what 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 tasks did you, did they have you perform, and were they they specific to the to the gravity level that you folks were experiencing at the time, or or was it the same kind of task that that um, you were doing throughout the entire um, battery of uh, of parabolas? no matter what, what gravity they were doing. So zero-G corporate, the, the folks at zero-G are very smart. They know that if you take a bunch of people and go from nothing to microgravity the first time all at once, you will earn your name as Vomit Comet, right? Because it's, <laughs> it's too fast. It's like, and if you go into really fast, that's apparently what they do to scare the NASA astronauts, is, or so I'm told. <laughs> but I mean, if you want real people to experience this and, and really get a, get a handle on the joy and the awesomeness and the sort of, not going to lie, transcendence of floating and not floating because you're not floating because there's no up, there's no down, you're just there, um, that, that, that easing into it with the Martian parabola and then a couple of lunar, lunar parabolas, it just makes really good sense. And so you just, unless there's some scientific reason to do a thing, uh, people just kind of are left to um to to just with just be with their stomachs and with their bodies and <laughs> kind of have a peaceful transition. And so so the, the tasks for the blind crew, we had several several pieces of tech, but the goals were well there there were two sort of basic things we were doing. One is we wanted to find out about various technologies for writing Braille and if we could make that happen in microgravity. Um, and the short answer is yes. So I was using 19th century Braille technology to write in the 21st century zero-G moment, which was kind of amazing. That's um, cool. I know, right? I know. Um, and then the other thing that we were supposed to do is, is do test things like sound beacons and um, some other haptic devices to try to figure out where we were and where down was. Um, and because the... Uh, the the 727 is hellaciously loud because one of the things they do to make that sucker able to fly those parabolas is they take out as much weight as they can, including some of the soundproofing stuff. Right. So it's wicked loud. The engines, and then you're winging through the air. Uh, so the air rushing past the fuselage. So like our cool idea about these neato beepers, nah. I mean, maybe <laughs> if we'd had them next time we'll, we'll think a little more carefully about how to calibrate them and how loud they have to be um because that's the most instinctive thing for a blind person is to triangulate on the sound and figure out where that is um and then so so the sound beacons were yeah you know i didn't hear one the whole time okay wow so so the so that was was that one of the recommendations going forward that that you probably want to go ahead and crank the the sound up on 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 these beacons maybe and then and then sort of what we intended to do is a spectrogram of the background noise of the jet engines we have the recordings we just didn't have a chance to do everything we wanted to do so get a spectrogram on this on the on the background noise it tends to cut off at about 550 hertz and so maybe a beacon that was pitched a little louder than that and it was with enough db would be audible uh it's still a thing to try Okay, uh, Dana. What about you? The, 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 again, the the experiments that they had had you doing that were, 
you know, targeting, I guess, the, 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 uh, the, the disability that you have. Right. I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of it had to do with figuring out how I was going to navigate the first. So the first three parabolas, which is the, the Martian and Lunar, those were just, I just kind of lifted myself a little bit and kind of felt what that was like. And, and then as we started going into the microgravity ones, what I had on at my area, there was this rope going up at where I could grab with my hooks and kind of use, use them and loops that were also in these straps to kind of help me, guide me up the side of the plane. And mm-hmm. then from there, I was able to get to the middle over, over by the, the lighting in the middle of the body of the plane. So I did that. And then I realized, you know, those moments of microgravity are so short. And yeah. you're getting used to it. And then they're like, feet down. And then, I, and then I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm up here by the lights and I'm going to fall to the ground. I don't have any legs to break my fall, so to speak. And so, and so I got a little bit scared and I became a little more cautious. And then the next parabolas I spent, like I mentioned earlier, um, like taking my hooks off. And then putting them on my body, and then trying. I, I actually, for one of the parabolas, as I was coming down, as they said, feet down, my hook kind of got caught on the rope. <laughs> yeah, and so people came over trying to pull it off before it was too late. Oh boy, too far from the ground, right? And um, and so that was kind of scary. But um, but I mean, after that, I took my arms off and I tried doing the same thing, but without my arms, to see if I had more control. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel like I did, so that I felt better about that. And mm-hmm. that was mostly it, because actually the second to the last traveler, uh, I'm one of the one of the three who got kind of nauseous. I did not throw up, just, you know, for the record, <laughs> I didn't throw up, but I did not feel that well either. So I sat the last one out. Ah, okay. Um, is is there was there one experiment that that you folks want to zero in on that that you felt that you know was really really worth worth doing or is there there's one that you you appreciated doing or or, or anything like that hey gene are you forgetting somebody oh yes sawyer what who <laughs> i've only been on for like 180 episodes here gene <laughs> i thought we i thought we i thought we um we had you all right sir I'll, I'll throw the same question at you then no i don't want to <laughs> Fair enough. No, Fair enough. No. Um, so <laughs> keep that in. Go ahead. So, oh, I will. Uh, so we had a few interesting uh, things that we did with mine. Uh, so I don't know if any of us have mentioned this yet, but we have um, we had sort of yoga mats that were meant to be our landing zone, so to speak, the equivalent of if we were in a spacecraft, the seat that we would need to go back to, and. Uh, I didn't. I I was the one odd one out. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> and so I actually ended up having uh, two foam pillows that we literally purchased from a store the night before flight that were duct taped together. They're the same foam pillows that you would use to sit up in bed while reading or watching TV or having a drink right. or whatever. And we taped them together, put them on the floor, and then we did another one of those foam pillows and rolled it up in a log and used that for safety under my knees when coming back down. And so before the first parabolas, we literally, where I was sitting, put down a piece of 
duct tape, you know, high, high tech here, and basically said, okay, that's our target. At the end of every parabola, uh, we want my hips to be at that target. Right. And I will say that we went 14 for 15 on that. The one that we didn't cool. was a little uncomfortable, but we made it. Uh, the other things that I was really working on was um, first keeping my legs together, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Right. Uh, so to do that, I literally had this super complex, crazy device that they uh, put on my suit. It's called Velcro on a piece of fabric. <laughs> wait, wait, let me write that down. Hang on, I'm writing that down. <laughs> How is it configured, Sawyer? Yeah, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do tell <laughs> oh, it was this fancy configuration so there's one end that has hooks and one end that doesn't and they stick together when you push them to them no but it was literally just a piece of fabric that was across uh one leg it was between my knee and my ankle and it had a little flap that i could use to pull it across and then there was obviously velcro on the other leg and use that to hold my legs together and it turns out it worked perfectly so the best thing that i had on everything was literally a piece of velcro there uh and then the other thing that we were trying to test with me was okay is it um besides just range of motion in general is it uh better to maybe kind of just float around somewhere in a kneeling position because you know most people at their workstations have a foothold obviously can't use that so maybe you know a more compact kneeling type position would be better so to do that, we literally took a piece of fabric that was already on the suit that was kind of meant to be like an epaulette, but it doesn't really lift up. And we made it so that you can lift it up. And it was on my left thigh and literally just fit one or two fingers, which turns out in zero gravity, you weigh zero or close to it. So it was easy to lift with just one finger. And so I pulled my legs in on the first try. And you know, I'm watching my legs and sure enough, they come right up. Super smooth, no issues. And then I look away from my legs and realize my face is about to hit the ceiling. So I, I, did, I didn't realize at first that pulling my legs up like that, I thought maybe it would spin me backwards and give some backwards momentum. I didn't realize that it was going to give me upward momentum. So it took a few tries on that. There was a, basically the ceiling and I became really good friends on this flight. <laughs> um. All right, so I'm going to go back to the, the, the previous question, which is probably shot, but I'll do it anyway. Um, what was, uh, is there a specific experiment that you guys, guys kind of enjoyed doing, or, or is there, there uh, uh, you know, what, which experiment would you change, would you change too, if, if, if you were, you were, you were asked to, to, you know, make a suggestion for, for a future flight? Or what would you put in? You know, here's the thing with that. And, and I think this is really important from a scientific perspective. We were trying to do several things at once. We were trying to experiment with some specific pieces of technology. And we were also learning how to be humans in microgravity. Right. And trying to do those two things at once. I mean, we had no choice. We had to keep being humans. It was going to be microgravity. And we wanted to do a thing, right? So, right. Um, so, so, so all of our experiments had that confound in them, which is that this is our initial uh, pass into microgravity. So I think for all of us, the thing we want to do next, uh, having learned a little bit about how to be a human in microgravity, is try some of the same things again and see how that goes and see what kinds of, uh, what impact it all has if we gain a little bit of skill and become slightly more skillful movers around in microgravity, right? Because we had 
and and not, we had 20 seconds or 30 seconds of microgravity, but then we had to spend the first part of that getting up and the second part of that uh, feed down coming back out so we didn't land on our heads. Um, right. I think, um, Sherry, I think you bring up a, a really good point in that, you know, they could try and prepare us as much as they can of what to expect and how it was going to be and all this stuff, but really, there's no way of really understanding until you're in it. So I do believe if we were to go back, that we would be able to focus more on on um, specific tasks, you know, and being able to do that because now we have an experience of what it's like. Now we can focus more on the other stuff. Hey, Dana, that's, this is Mark. I've got a question for you and the rest of the team if uh, we can go around. How was your sense of time through the parabolas? Did you feel time uh compressed and went fast or stretched and your perception was slow how did you feel as you went through the flight i feel like the the moments of microgravity were so short because like i said before you're, you're no sooner getting used to it and then it's like get down then you have to hurry up and get down to the ground so it, it just seemed to just fly right by same yeah, I think people don't realize that it's only 30-ish seconds to begin with, give or take, on certain parabolas. Yeah, I think it's less than 30, isn't it? I, th I think the average is supposed to be 28, but depending on weather conditions, it could be less or more. Yeah. But, I mean, the big thing f that you kind of forget is that maybe it's only... You have to take away at least five seconds of that, because you've got the three seconds or so that you're scrambling to get yourself ready to come out of gravity, and then there's still those few seconds immediately as the uh, as the plane goes into the start of the zero-gravity parabola that you're kind of floating off the floor, and you wait that second or two to go, okay, now I can start doing my stuff. Sherry, you, you kind of touched on this, you know, to go back and do things. Is that the game plan? Will, will, will you folks be going back to, to do this again at some point and try to refine the procedures a little bit better or refine the experiments a little bit more? Or will they be a new group going forward that will, will go ahead, take your notes and, and kind of run with it? Do you know? Like the Zurich G people told us, we've done something that 99.9999% of humanity has never done. Right. It's a rare and precious and marvelous and awfully expensive experience. So we want to be super strategic with what we're going to do next time um, when we get funding for flight number two. We're going to look at what we learned and then we're going to sort of figure out, okay, this is the natural next step. And then who are the people that we have and which people are best suited to do these missions? And do we want to bring in a couple new people? Um, that's also possible. Um, I mean, it's at this point, it's all about the mission. Right. And and from what I'm reading on, on the website or before I came in here was um, the ultimate goal is to try to get one of the, one of the team members in an actual spaceflight kind of condition. Is, is, is that the end game here? That is the first end game. The ultimate end game is we change the world. We bust these barriers that are artificially keeping one fourth of humanity from space. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of barriers that keep people from space, right? But it's arbitrary one of, of your body shape and your body's ability. It's useless and it's keeping us back and it's harming our scientific process, our, our progress toward uh, learning everything we can learn. So that's in our way. That's in our scientific way. That's in the way of the progress, literally the progress of humanity. So we have to get rid of it. So that's our goal. 
and to make sure that we can equip all future um, space vessels and develop the policies so that if someone becomes disabled on a long uh, space voyage or someone living on the moon becomes disabled, that that person can continue to lead um, a, a happy and productive life as part of whatever team they're on. So the near goal is the next flight. The medium goal is somebody goes to space. But the ultimate goal is that we change the way we go to space and we change the way people relate to disability and to yeah. space and to disabled people in space. Yeah, and I would go further and say even more than that, it's changing the perception of disability. It, it's raising up a community so that people can really see that we're capable and that we're, you know, instead of just what they, a lot of people think that we are, which is uncapable of doing, of doing anything for ourselves. And so I think that's a nice um, indirect benefit is that it'll, it'll change your perception of disability, even here on earth, not just in space. Sawyer, what's your perceptions on all this? I, I was actually talking with Sherry about this a few days ago. I came into this not really as a disability advocate. Uh, I was I always saw myself as a space reporter who happens to have a disability. Doing this flight made me realize that it, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not anything that I shouldn't be proud to be associated with. Is yeah, I've done a lot in my life in a wheelchair, and I should recognize that and realize that what we're doing here, as you mentioned, is hopefully paving the way for other people. I mean, so many NASA spin-off technologies that have been used in the space program have helped us down here on Earth, and specifically a lot of us here in the disability community. I mean, all, many of the materials that are in my wheelchair right now are a result of the space program. So I think it really goes to show that not only is this super important for uh space flight in the future but what we're doing right now to make space accessible i think will also help all of us down here on earth make our planet more accessible as well sherry i, I accidentally stepped on you before i asked sawyer to chime in Do you, did you have anything else to add oh not after what sawyer said i just want to go preach because <laughs> <laughs> that, that's exactly it right what we want no wait it's not about what we want because it's not about how we feel about things. What we deserve as human beings is equal access and respect. And as long as we're not getting that, it, there's a problem. Yeah, I mean, the just when they implemented the right stuff at NASA, that excluded so many amazing people that once they finally opened it up to people that weren't white male military people, you got some amazing scientists and researchers and people that are, you know, different genders, different races, and why not now open that to different disabilities as well? There's so many amazing people in this community that have some form of disability that might otherwise disqualify them from spaceflight, and yet imagine the research they could do in zero gravity and microgravity for, say, a long-duration mission if we just accepted people with disabilities. And I think on this flight, the other big thing at least from my perspective, was the only things that I really needed to make my tasks possible was uh, some foam, some duct tape, and Velcro, that it doesn't take much. Right. And one thing, too, is, is because we're having to do things in a different way a lot of times, 
dis having a disability and, and diverse abilities than than other people, it it helps us to be uh, good problem solvers, and we think outside the box automatically. And so by enabling our, our community to be part of space exploration, you're you're drawing upon those strengths. I, I viewed this whole mission as, as you folks being pathfinders anyway for for people going forward because it, it's, I mean, it's sort of, I think everybody on the panel pointed out, you know, for a while we, we were shutting out a lot of people and now we're trying to expand the tent. And this is just one of those first steps. Right. And again, it's not a nice thing you're doing for disabled people. It's, no. a, it's, a, it's a justice adjustment that we're making to the world. Thank you. And it will make um, the space uh, voyages more productive. Thank you for saying that. I'd like to add something in. I've known Sawyer since 2009, and I don't know if I'm overly uh, rewarding or awarding myself any, any credits, but I think I've always thought of Sawyer for his abilities and for his, his, the person that he is. I don't think I've ever considered him with his disabilities other than what can we do for what we're working on together to minimize any impact that that might have? But as far as Sawyer, you as a guy, holy cow, you have phenomenal capabilities. When you were a student in high school, um, I knew that you were somebody that was going places, and you certainly have. And I think the if we could just drop a... A, a categorization of, of disabled people and just say people. Here's the thing though, you can't quite do that because you don't want to True. You don't want to ignore Sawyer's wheelchair so much that he has fall downstairs. True. Yes. When friends say they forget that I'm blind, I don't take that as a compliment because that means if we're going sight a guy, they might walk me into a wall. Um and also I'm kind of happy how I am, so you know it's just part of how it all is. Right. Yeah, and and you're totally right because I've I've been with Sawyer traveling and seen how horrible at times the uh, the airline experience can be for <laughs> for someone in a wheelchair. Oh, oh, oh my gosh! Yeah, wait, so run, yeah, run to see scream at the airlines. One, two, three. Ah! <laughs> That's a whole other show. Is oh yeah, talking about that. But, but yeah. I can definitely, I can say though with certainty that I remember the first time I was at the press site there, I later found out uh, that there were certain people who are no longer at the press site that didn't want to give me credentials because they were concerned about the chair and not having to make accommodations for it. And <laughs> yeah, uh, this was, this was 2011. Uh, I can say in the 10 years that I've been a member of the NASA press, the press site has certainly become more open and accepting and accessible. In fact, one of the accommodations that they used to make for me was if they didn't have an accessible bus to go out to the launch pad, I would just drive my own car. I've literally had people in the passenger seat just so I could drive out to the launch pad. Now with COVID, they are doing that for everybody. Everyone drives themselves out to the launch pad. So it's interesting seeing the modifications and adjustments that they've made for myself are now helping everyone at the press site. And I think it's safe to say that if somebody else goes to the press site in a wheelchair, it's still not going to be easy. It's still on a hill with grass and rocks and gravel and prickly things that will stick to your pants. But 
<laughs> it's better, a lot and better. Fire than And fire ants. Oh God, don't remind me. But <laughs> and mosquitoes and all that. But it's still a lot better than it was when I first started ten years ago. Yeah. Is is there anything else you folks want to want to add to to you know say there is a new new group of individuals coming forward? Is there any any advice that you would pass along to that new group that you'd want to want to go ahead and 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 impart? First advice: Take me with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the things that I wish I'd known. Um, was what it was going to be like. Because one of my concerns, one of the reasons I was pretty sure I would panic and then throw up or the other way around, was that I didn't have a clear idea. So the thing that I found most remarkable is that you're laying on your back on the, basically the wrestling mat, right? From your high school gym. Um, and you feel the 1.8 AG, which is no big deal. It's less than any roller coaster you've ever been on, pretty much more than you feel in a car. Uh, but less than a big roller coaster. And you're sort of, you're kind of pushed down. It feels sort of shaky and you're thinking, woo, this is not as bad as I thought it would be. And you get up to the top of the parabola and you feel sort of your feet kind of going down, kind of like the thing is sort of sloping as the plane is tipping over the top and beginning its dive. And there's some point where you think, oh dear, okay, if this gets steeper, <laughs> it's not going to be any fun. Where's my big red? No, but, um, but before anything happens before you sort of lose your grip and you slide and you crash into the front of the plane or before you get that horrible sick falling feeling you you suddenly realize that by some kind of magic there's air between you and that wrestling mat and that is not a thing air is supposed to do air is not supposed to be able to slip in between your body and what you're laying on and it's not like you go up it's that this air snuck in behind you and you think how what where am how and you're uh none of your senses are ready for this experience and then if you're me you think okay okay wait 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 wait, wait, wait. where am i and then you reach quickly to one side which turns your torso which turns your body and now you're spinning and now everything is over for you for a while because there you are you're a graceless ball of spinning human <laughs> it's kind of all over you're sort of bouncing off things uh, until all of a sudden you're back down on the mat and it starts over. But it's that sense of relinquishing up and down. And the only way you could know what up and down is, um, is through comparison with other objects in your same reference field, right? If people are standing there, if you're looking up at the light. And it is the strangest feeling. And it's, um, it's fun. It's terrifying. It's beautiful. It's the most different thing that you can possibly imagine. And it's not like floating and it's not like falling. It is like a whole different thing. Um, and that having said all that, I have to acknowledge that that's not going to help at all because when you experience it, it'll be a whole different thing. Dana, what about you? And I, um, I just have two words to describe what I was feeling. And it was, it was wonderfully scary. <laughs> Wonder <laughs> I love that. It is. It's like this feel, it, you know, at one hand, you're like, oh, my God, this is so great. It's such a free feeling. And at the same time, it's it's kind of scary. So it's to me, it was very much both. And so are you. Uh, it's it, it's really is strange. I mean, it always it took me a while to get used to it because you would start to feel so light that you'd push. Like for me, I would push off the floor 
and not realizing that I'm moving. So I'd push again and I'd actually propel myself faster into the ceiling and quickly have to grab onto a rope or a handrail or something to kind of slow myself down. But it is, it's bizarre because you expect your stomach to go up like into your chest, like when you go over a roller coaster and it feels like it's about to do that, but it never does. It kind of just stays there and it's like, oh, you know, you're not really feel like you're falling up or down. You're just there and your body, it almost felt like my body was kind of moving in slow motion. And it was really interesting because I noticed that in the microgravity, I felt things were more smooth as I was moving. So everything was done a little more slowly once I got the hang of it. When I was in the hyper-G, I felt super, you know, slow because you can't really push up against the 1.8 Gs that much. Then we got to the one gravity breaks in between. And I remember sitting up and just my body going, whoa, you sat up way too fast. Everything else we've been doing for the last three parabolas has been so slow. So, I mean, that was the biggest shock to me, I think, was that strange feeling of slowness almost uh, through all of it. And again, it's hard to describe or prepare anyone for. It's one of those things where once you feel it for the first time, it takes you off guard. And about for me, it was about halfway through and I finally realized, okay, I'm learning how to adapt to this environment. So it's really, I know it's not great advice for any future people, but there isn't any other than to just experience it. Can y'all relate any reactions from others on your crew that uh, might add to what you've just shared? I think everybody was just joyful. Yes. I don't remember anybody without a smile any point that I checked the entire plane. Which... I'm actually going to ask you guys a question, Sherry and Dana, and I've got my own answer to it, but what during the flight stuck out most to you? Was there one moment or one parabola where you did something that it jumped out at you and you just remember it so vividly? Honestly, for me, it was the lunar parabolas that, that uh, because I was well-oriented the whole time, I would, wasn't feeling frightened or lost. I just felt elated i don't think i've ever felt so freaking gleeful in my life it was amazing and i remember i remember vividly standing there screaming like a kid i love the moon i love the moon i love the moon <laughs> i could not have made sense or done an experiment if you'd paid me all the money there was i was completely overwhelmed with joyfulness yes and i actually the same i mean it for me, my favorite one was the first one where I lifted myself holding on to uh, the strap with my right arm. That was the best feeling because it was the beginning of it. It was just the beginning of feeling what that was going to be like. I mean, obviously, the lunar still stands out to me as well, literally and figuratively stands out. Uh, sorry. <laughs> But I have two, a few other things that really jumped out. One was, uh, I remember being upside down finally at one point and going, why is everyone on the ceiling, this parabola? And I realized, no, dummy, your head's on the floor. Your feet are on the ceiling. That's why. Uh, because the blood doesn't rush to your head, so you don't really feel upside down. So cool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, the one that really stuck out too was when I was finally realized that I was actually in zero gravity. I brought a ping pong ball with me. Uh, that my grandparents gave me, and I remember taking it out, and they gave me advice before the flight to don't throw it, don't do anything with it, just stick your hand out and pull your hand away from it. 
And I remember doing that and expecting the ping pong ball to either drop or go up or something. And it just literally stayed there. I mean, obviously this is Gravity 101, but it still surprised me. So I poked it with a finger and watched it just kind of slowly float and caught it with another hand. And it was like, oh, so I actually am really weightless right now. I actually am in zero gravity. That's when it clicked. And the final one, I know I said one and I'm naming three, but the one thing that really stands out was we got advice the night before, which was if you can take a parabola, just soak everything in. So one of my literally just hung there on the rope and turned and watched everybody else floating around on the plane. I I don't think anybody was right side up. Everyone was in a million different degrees of direction, but everyone had a smile and everyone was both struggling and succeeding equally. And, and I think I've just, I, I remember just going, if you told me to pick out someone here who had a disability, I probably couldn't because all of us were kind of equalized in that zero gravity environment of basically being equally disabled trying to learn what we're doing if that's makes sense and is appropriate actually sir that's the way i saw this whole thing is as microgravity being the great equalizer and and you know because because to me it, it wouldn't really matter you know what if 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 you were blind if you were um, you know, disabled in some way, you're all gonna have to deal with 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 the odd condition that 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 microgravity is. And I guess for for different individuals, it's it's going to present different problems. But in a way, that's the way I interpreted what you folks were doing. That 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 this was indeed, you know, the great equalizer here. And and how how folks deal with it is just just, you know it's it's all up to them i think it is until we sort it out because after we sort it out i i'm still not going to be able to read the the control panel unless it's accessible right, right? so it's that it's that first learning curve uh where the space is really not designed for anyone you just touched something on uh, right there i mean i mean i know there's this this um dependence now on you know, on touch screens and, 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 and things like that, where you don't have the, the circuit breakers that you had on, on like, say, an Apollo spacecraft or something like that. How, how do you get around the, 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 uh, the, the, the touch screen then? I mean, do you have an enunciator that touches the button and then you get it? or Take your iPhone and turn on voiceover and you'll be able to touch the screen and it will say what you're touching. And then you can tap that. And then, and of course, it all relies on whether the programmers of the particular apps um, do what they're supposed to do and uh, make that work. Is that something that that you that might be looked at in the future, as far as you know, adapting that to a to to a spacecraft? Like I'm thinking the I'm I'm thinking the Crew Dragon, right now because there there's there's a lot of touch screens in there. Um, there isn't. I don't think there. I, I think think there's only a handful of toggle switches. So I'm I'm wondering is that something that they're actually looking at doing possibly in in on the Crew Dragon? I don't know if they're looking at it, but doing it would be trivial. I mean, it's on every Android and iPhone. It, it comes natively. It's not something we have to purchase. It's part of the design. Yeah. It, it, so then, if you've got like the crew has an i, you know, they're they're armed with iPads on the Crew Dragon, so it should tie in like that correct it could i mean the the programmers have to have to obey the correct protocols and they have to uh, program it right 
Right. Um, like if they have a picture for a button, they have to type in some text for the button or, we'll, or it won't show up as it won't read it out loud. But if they're doing what they're supposed to do, be doing, if they're programming correctly, then yes. I'm going to throw the mic to, to you folks then. We've got a few more minutes left and they're all yours. Well, I'll throw out one final question for you guys because I know I came off that flight, you know, with so many ideas for future flights. I guess the two questions I would have would be what would you want to do on a future flight and what is your biggest takeaway now that we're a few weeks after the mission and we've actually had time to, you know, digest what we've done and actually sleep a little bit, theoretically? Theoretically. I think if, you know, if we were to be fortunate enough to, to go up again, uh, I I feel like now that we have time, instead of trying to climb everything in a month, I do feel like we could be a lot more effective and learn a lot more with the extra time we've been given. My takeaway, um, okay, also what Dana said, um, but I think my takeaway as a human being walking around are two things. I'm so much happier and I feel so much more confident knowing that I can do these outrageous things. And I'm so much sadder because everything is still the same. I still came back through the airport and nobody wanted me to walk on my own to the baggage claim. And everybody wanted to interrupt me and ask me if I was lost. And um, everybody called me sweetie and would grab me without asking. It was just exactly the same as it always is when I walk through an airport. And the contrast between those joyful moments of power and confidence and that reality in the airport of how disabled people are still treated in, in many contexts, the, 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 the gap between those two things is bigger for me now. And, and so in some, ways it's, uh, in some ways it's sadder for me now than it was before because I now know that it's even more pointless, the discrimination and the um, way that disabled people are treated is, fills me with more despair than it did before, because I just saw 12 disabled people fly halfway to heaven and do marvelous things. And I come home and it's the same here. Um, so, so I feel fiercer and more ready to go on, but also, um, happier and also a lot sadder you're gonna make me follow that i mean that that's fantastically put good good luck with that sawyer <laughs> thanks gene just edit it out with this, you know, me talking oh no 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 <laughs> that's why she's the linguistics professor and i write 25 second stories for a living um <laughs> though you guys have read the thing sawyer wrote haven't you it's really very good it's very very it's it's beautiful i can link it i haven't shown it to anyone yet you should. You should. It's really nicely done. Thank you. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me, besides the fact that I got to live a dream and it surpassed anything that I ever could have imagined, is that I see spaceflight in a whole different way. For the longest time, I always thought that I could never actually go into space, so I had to work harder. So I would make sure to meet as many astronauts as possible, get as close to the rockets as possible, follow the missions as closely as possible, watch the launches, because that would be the closest I would ever get to getting on a rocket of any kind, suborbital or orbital. And, and I think this just shows that it really is possible. We're in such a perfect era for it right now that we've got private companies that are sending people 
to space, whether that be for a few minutes or a few days or a few months. We're finally at that point where space is opening up to more people. And while it's mainly the rich, I think this is the time to make it open for literally everybody, as we talked about earlier in the show. And I think my biggest takeaway from this is that if spaceflight companies see what we did and are able to take what we did and make simple little changes, space literally can be for everybody. Any single one of us or any person on this planet who wanted to with a disability could actually fly into space. I think that's my biggest takeaway. And as Sherry mentioned, it doesn't really change much of how we're treated day to day here on Earth. But I think it's paving the way that once we do get more disabled people into space, it will hopefully be regular and not a spectacle or not a one-time deal. Yes, and I, I do want to add to to hold on, Sherry, because I do believe once there are disabled astronauts going up into space and all that, it is going to affect us here and people are going to see us differently and, and it will get better. We just have to be a little more patient. Patience is not one of my good things. Yeah. <laughs> Patience is one of my good things. And I can help you. One something just clicked in my head and I'm I, I forgive me. I know Issa is working on in fact they uh, during their their latest astronaut selection they had a a selection for individuals with you know disabilities and they were wanting to go ahead and kind of have this pilot program now do you, collectively do you know of of anybody from ESA that may have been looking at what you were doing and saying yeah maybe we ought to look into this to help support the 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 para astronaut program that we were setting up we have isa people on our uh, advisory board okay that's what i was getting at i was wondering if they were they were working in tandem with you folks and 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 just just seeing what what this is all about and going yeah maybe we ought to try x y and z and and seeing what 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 the planning is for for the experimentation here and saying yeah maybe we ought to take a look at that oh and by the way maybe you might want to go ahead and take a look at x y you know this and and so on so there is a collaboration there going on and i do want to point out gene as well that uh there were some people who work at all of the major space companies that are currently sending people into space who on their own time not for their employer but on their own time decided that they would come out and help us with our flight and be some of those people that assisted us and i'm sure although they were not there representing their organization specifically that those organizations were watching see at that's least what... i hope yeah, yeah. That, I, I mean, we had Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, SpaceX, all people who are employed there in their as their main job when they're not volunteering to assist with us. Right, not, not they were not officially represented, but they were, you know, they were there. Yeah, that that's what I was hoping to hear because I'm 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 hearing some really good things about you know trying to get you know trying to expand the tent and make sure that there's space for everybody and I want to make sure that the people designing future spacecraft were there and they're listening and they're listening to all of you folks as as this program goes forward. Well, you know George Whiteside, who is not only generous but very very smart and very very well connected 
um, knows everybody. And everybody likes him because he's a really cool guy. So, um, yeah, he used to be with NSS. I remember him there. Yeah, he's uh, so he just invited his his some friends of his and they came. That that's super. That is really really super. Which not to brag or anything, but he was one of the people personally assisting me. So just just, <laughs> just saying, <laughs> George, George and I are besties. not to brag, but you know, we're just, I got we're besties. We're besties. Name dropper. Yeah, you had <laughs> you had Anna. You also had astronaut Katie Coleman. Right, I won't too. brag either, but I had the only astronaut, a retired astronaut on the crew. So, ha <laughs> ha. Yo, I had Anna. <laughs> Uh, all right we all right we all had rock stars <laughs> <That's bizarre. laughs> i think i i think that 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 i again you folks are, are are really really proving that i think you know one, one of the 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 uh things that we've tried to really really express here on the program is there is space for everybody and and you folks are just at the at the bleeding edge of proving that and I'm 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 con- I'm 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 really wishing this project well. I'm I'm really wanting this project to go forward and prove that fact that you know we've got to expand the tent. We've got to make sure that everybody's included on this because guess what? You know if we're gonna go back to the moon, we're, if we're gonna deal with Mars, we need everyone on board. Yeah, and it's not just for the sake of including us, but. But to draw upon our strengths that we bring. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, all all the all the brain brain work and all the minds that 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 go into something like that. We we can't shut people out. We need everybody if this this is going to be a success. Yes. Yeah, and I do want to just point out uh, if you guys haven't, you can always check out astroaccess.org, which has more about the organization, the amazing people behind it. If you feel so inclined, there is an option to donate to help with future flights. And if not, there's also some really, really awesome T-shirts that were designed uh, by people with disabilities specifically for this mission that not only look awesome, but some of the proceeds do go to help Mission Astro Access. And we are looking for a sponsor for our next flight. So, Yeah. And I did want to mention just very last minute that although we were trying to one-up each other a little while ago about who was helping who, <laughs> everybody in in that Astra Access, everybody's a rock star. Really, it's true. Absolutely. Well, I think that's the perfect place to uh, wrap this conversation up. So, Sherry Wells Jensen and Dana Bowles, two of the amazing Astra Access ambassadors. Thank you for joining me, and I am so beyond proud and honored to call you guys crewmates. Crewmates. And you're a part of that amazing group too. So uh, yeah, it was a good, it was a good interview. Thank you for inviting. Me. Oh, I'm I'm so glad. It was, it was nice to actually just talk about it with other ambassadors. All the interviews have been one on one. It's so great to just chat with everyone about. Oh, this is my experience, and again, try and one up each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gene McCulka, Mark Ratterman, thank you both as well for helping to moderate this crazy show. Oh heck! I mean, I feel like we we've been sitting here, you know, at you know, with with bar stools at a pub somewhere, and just just sort of commiserating and and talking about some real cool stuff. Uh, Dana, Sherry, thanks so much for taking the time out to to you know put up with 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 Mark and myself, and uh, I'm I'm really really looking forward to hearing more about what you know, you're both collectively doing for the project and, and about the project as a whole. So, um, 
thank you again for uh, for being here, and and I, I we definitely want you want you back here. It was a delight. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And thank you, the listeners, for joining us. And as always, no, no, no. Oh, sorry, you, Mark. I didn't. You get don't a chance get. To thank you, you don't get away. You don't get away without my two cents. <laughs> okay, let's try that again. Thank you as well, Mark Ratterman. So I've got a little different thing to add in here. I spend a lot of time on the road, and I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts. And I cannot recall any podcast I've ever heard that talked about what a zero-G flight was like in any detail. I've known about it in its basic sense. I've understood it. But I think we got an incredible picture from this flight crew as to what it's really like. Now, our listeners need to take this and share it and tell people, hey, have you ever heard of a zero-G flight? Have you ever heard of the parabolas and this and that? You need to listen to this podcast because let's share more about this to far and wide and let's see where it goes. That's a I'm really applauding, good point. Mark. Thank that, you. That's, that's a, a good a point. I've good never point. noticed that. Yes. Well, it was a, it was it has been a search. I did search many podcasts looking for a nice, vivid, and many YouTube clips and lots of writing, and I never heard anyone really describe it well. So well, now you've solved your own problem. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's it's also something that it's you don't really fully understand until you experience. But once you experience it, you never forget it. Exactly. Now I think we can thank you all for joining us. And as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are.